here's the word I have for you. It's a simple phrase that came to me in a prayer time. I'm going to say it to you a couple different ways. And the best teaching on this will be after you leave this meeting. Because the Holy Spirit is the best teacher on the planet. So I want to put a phrase in you for you to work a little bit in your heart and see if I can make that point for, with a few Bible verses and then you meditate on it. On, um, on Wednesday morning, I was in the Word, spending my time in the secret place, and I kept hearing this phrase. The Lord saying, my Father saying to me, I said shall, not should. I said shall, not should. It repeated in my head 25 times. I don't know what it was. He was like, I said shall, not should. And what I'm calling this is shall, not should, which is the difference between sonship and slavery or living and ministering with prophetic confidence. I think we need to live and minister in prophetic confidence, which is rooted in how you think about what God's up to or what he's expecting. In Matthew 21, 13, one of our favorite passages, just to highlight this, Jesus tears through the temple and says, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a dinner robbers. He didn't say, you guys are screwing this up, you should make this a house of prayer. He said, it shall be called one day a house of prayer. But you've done this with this in your generation. He's quoting Isaiah 56, 7. And he did not misquote his papa who inspired, Yah by, uh, who inspired I, Isaiah to write, these I will bring to my holy mountain and I'll make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices, the Gentiles, will be accepted on my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Not, it's a goal that you should strive for. I'm telling you, with all that's in me, I'm committed to my temple being a house of prayer. I'm not, I, I may, generations may come and go that miss this point, but I'm fully committed to it with all of my zeal. This kind of language is in another key phrase for us, which is Matthew 22, 37. The greatest commandment is quoted, and he says, and he said to them who asked, what's the greatest commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. I think that's an amazing should for you, that we should love the Lord our God. But I'm telling you, you've got more than a should here. You've got more than a goal from Yahweh. You've got a commitment from Yahweh that your heart is going to end up somewhere. That's good news. Your resolve is one thing, but his resolve is all the difference in the world. That he's committed to getting my heart to being a lover of God. You shall. He's quoting Deuteronomy 6. It's the same thing. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. 24 chapters later, in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, he talks about how he's going to do it. It's right here in verse 6. It says, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your seed or your offspring so they will Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. This is more of the process of how he's going to get to where he's going. God doesn't just lay out an amazing heavenly goal and then wait to see if we'll do it. God's committed to coming into our lives, literally circumcising our hearts, which means 
dealing with the sharpness of his word and our circumstances to slice off the flesh and our hearts so we would become radical, wholehearted lovers of God. How many of you know that God's not just satisfied with a 50% lover's heart? He's not satisfied with 90%. He'll, we'll see it when he deals with the kings all the way through. He'll like have a couple of the kings commit reform. They'll start tearing things down, but it'll say this sentence, but they wouldn't tear down the what? High places. And there's this grief, you can feel it in the Lord's heart and in the prophet's words of the author of the book. They're going really far, but they wouldn't tear down the high places. I'm telling you, God's committed to 100% of our hearts. He's committed to you getting over every aberrant lover that you have. He's committed to it like passion. He's not just sitting back waiting to see if you'll do it. He's engaging your life and your heart. He's engaging your circumstances and your relationships. He's allowing trial to come that he might shake you up to get you to his shall. So, shall is a prophetic proclamation of what will be. Should is a performance obligation of what ought to be. Now, I believe there's shoulds in the word, but listen, shall is the prophetic proclamation of what will be. Should is a performance obligation of what ought to be. If you only operate from the should, you're going to end up being a slave. You're going to end up missing the love of your father and the processes of what he's doing within your life. Though the shall includes a should, it's far more than a should. Saul operated by a should, by the should, always thinking that he had not done enough. Do you remember that? Saul lost the kingship because of his fear that he wasn't sacrificing on time and wasn't sacrificing enough. Samuel said, wait. He got impatient because people were like getting antsy. So he rushes and does the sacrifice because he should do that. Then another time, Samuel says, kill it all. All the Amalekites, everything. Remember what he does. He keeps the lambs because he should get more worship material. But out of his fear, he ends up in slavery, loses the favor of God, and walks out a demonized life. The should mentality puts you in a position where your heart is vulnerable to the operation of the enemy. And you'll end up a jealous leader instead of a generous leader that's worshiping God. David didn't operate this way. Saul operated from the should. David operated from the shall. Slaying giants that stood in the way of his destiny. That's, we talked about this before, and you know this from your Bible, but the, I think the courage of David is not just because he warmed up on a few wolves and lions, which he did. I want that video when I get to heaven. He, he tells Saul, there was a couple times, it was kind of wild. I'm out there, the lions want to eat the sheep, and I just ran them down, and well, I killed them with my bare hands. And he did that after he had been anointed with the shall destiny from Samuel, you're going to be king. He knew a lion and a bear could not kill him because he had a destiny. And then there's a giant, Goliath. A whole army and a bunch of big brothers are scared to death living in the realm of should. They got a king in the realm of should. And he cannot overcome that thing. But you bring a, a boy in there, a lover of God operating under the shall, and he knows you will not stand in my way. 
I'm going to be the king, and I'm deciding to walk straight through you. He says, you come against me of javelin and spear, but I come against you in what? The name of the Lord my God. On this day, a swordless man is going to cut your head off and feed your body to the birds. How's he so confident? Because he's living under a shell. He's living under the shell. I'm going to get through to my destiny. I wonder if you're living there. You've got a Saul should path before you, and you've got a shall David one, if you will accept it. The shall is focused upon the divine resolve of the Lord to accomplish. The should has got a focus, it's crazy, upon the human unreliability to accomplish. That's, that's the difference right there, everybody. Your focus is determined on if you're living from the shall or the should. So prophetic confidence is essential for endurance, encouragement, or to say it another way, the ability not to lose heart. How do I, you're going to lose heart if you're leaning on your ability to accomplish what God wants done. But if you will lean on the shall, on his divine commitment, his prophetic thing, and you'll change the, listen, the culture of your thinking. We're such performers, and we fail at performance, but the Lord has never, ever, ever failed, as you know. So, are you saying he shall or I should in the inner parts of your heart? What's, what's echoing when you're not speaking? Your, your heart will betray. Are you saying mostly, he shall do this, he shall do this? Or are you speaking inside your heart, I should do this? I know that a disciple's in trouble when he starts using I should or I ought language with me. I know he's walking or she in slavery. When they're thinking about I should worship more, I should read my Bible more, I should be on mission more, I'm like, you're never going to do any of that. You may do it for a little while. If you're successful a little bit, you'll probably end up in pride about it. And I'm trying to shift them from a I should to a he shall. Because if I can get them to a he shall, then I've got them in a realm of grace where they're dependent on what God has committed himself to. And what he's committed himself to, he will accomplish. So here's the reality, and I hope you'll practice. He shall supply all your needs. Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches, right? He shall finish what he started in you. He's not, he didn't quit a job half through. Philippians 1.6, he who started a good work will bring it to completion. He shall work all things to your good. There's nothing that ever can come at you that will not be turned to good because he sovereignly promised it in Romans 8.28. I'll work everything to good. For those who love me and called according to my purpose, he shall avenge you. He shall avenge you. He shall take care of what you think you got to take care of in meanness or unjust stuff from people. Because he says in Romans 12, 19, don't, don't leave room for the wrath of God. Leave room for the wrath. Because my God will avenge our honor and he'll take care of what he needs to take care of and especially our enemy in the spirit realm. He shall give you favor in your life, Psalms 512. His favor will be like a shield. He shall make his house a house of prayer. I'm telling you this, I felt a fresh burden for the church to become a house of prayer. She's not, she's headed that way. I've recommitted myself in the last three weeks. God's been dealing deeply with my heart. 
Sam, I may have said this out loud, and pardon me if I did, but I, I know this is the phrase. You've led a lot of prayer meetings. You are yet to embrace your mandate to prayer in, my, in the body of Christ. Well, that was interesting news to me because I've led thousands of prayer meetings even at a city level. And I didn't feel it like my father was going, I'm dissatisfied with you. You're not good. He wasn't saying that. He was saying, don't you get distracted. Don't you get distracted thinking that you can get hundreds or thousands of people to a prayer meeting four times a year, and somehow I've got my house of prayer. I need you to give yourself to this thing. you got to go after shepherds and saints alike, and I'm going for a wholesale cultural change. And I felt the glory and the weight of it, like, oh, my gosh. I, th I thought it was tough just getting people to Coke Arena. You know, he's like, no, I want you to shift Big, little, whatever, I want you to be part, not me, part of my shifting of the church to a house of prayer. And I felt, I was like, that's almost impossible. And he's like, yeah, exactly. You won't be able to should this, will you, Sam? You're going to have to shall this thing. Oh. I got to get under another level of resolve than my own. Because I'll get weary, I'll get tired, and I'll get off track. And I'll lose heart. Evaluating by the wrong things. But I've got, he shall make his house a house of prayer. He shall make his name great in all the earth. His fame, I crave it in India, Haiti, and North Africa. That's why we're so into missions. I'm not, I'm not into missions because I just think missions are cool. I'm into missions because I want the fame of the Lord to fill the earth. I know where this thing's going. It's Malachi 1.11. He will be worshipped everywhere. Amen? Because I got some shawls all around that. And I'm locked in on it. But it can weigh on my heart if I start thinking about what I should do to accomplish it. So we should do some things, but the power to do this is rooted in the Lord's shall. We should do some things. I'm not removing the should of responsibility and obedience, but I'm telling you, if you don't keep that under the banner of the shall, you're going to get out of grace. You're going to get into works, and you're going to run out of energy. You're going to get grouchy. You may even get affected by the enemy like Saul did, and I'm just pleading with you, don't do that. Would you build yourself a house, a covering of shalls, some promises that you're standing under? I've got them from my Bible, and I've got them from my personal times. The Lord said some things to me personally about my life and my destiny, and they're shall promises. Like, they're going to happen. Some of them take 30 years, 50 years. I don't know what they are, but I'm rooting myself in that and changing the emotional and mental culture of my life by saying the shalls so that I will think different, operate different, and get into agreement with him. Does this make sense, everybody? Please meditate this week. On what's inside you, are you shalling or shooting? Really? Are you shalling or are you shooting? So, Father God, in the name of Jesus, set this in the heart of my friends. Those that are here, those that will listen later, make us a people of shall. Your decrees, your prof a prophetic confidence would rise in us to have breakthrough for the kingdom and to endure when there's kickback. Lord, I pray for prophetic confidence. Release us from the slavery of what we should be doing. Let us get under your decree of what you're going to do through us. And then, Lord, I pray for just a, a maturing in that. Lord, I pray the birds of the air, the 
Jesus. People go out of this room, wouldn't steal the seeds off the soil of their heart. I really am asking you, Father, set this thing in our hearts. Let us mature as a family and as ministry teams in this, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.